This is Weon, and you're listening to Gravitas Podcast, making sense of the news. Who will launch the next offensive? In case you are wondering, yes, we are talking about Ukraine. You see, there seems to be a lull over there since Bakhmut. And you may say a lull is good, and I will agree. You see, the lack of an offensive, the absence of deaths and casualties, they are all always welcome. But we need to realize that this silence, the silence in Ukraine is uneasy. And it is often broken by a deafening question. This one. Who will take the next offensive? Because we will be wrong in assuming that, that there will be none, that there will be no offensive, that there will be no land movement in the coming days, that the war has come to an end, because it has not. You see, there is a stalemate, yes, but this stalemate is temporary at best. The recently leaked US papers confirming what was being speculated for the longest time, that Ukraine is planning a spring offensive. The Ukrainian military will try to repeat what it carried out last autumn, you know, when it reclaimed some lost land. But now that critical data on this offensive has been leaked. Are we to assume that Ukraine will put a pause on its plan? Highly unlikely. And I'll tell you why. Because the fact remains that a sizable portion of Ukrainian land remains under Russian occupation. And this has not changed since the data leak. And neither should Ukraine's plan. So will the next offensive by Ukraine? Will the next offensive be Ukraine's is the immediate question. And to answer that, you must ask yourself this question. Who benefits from an offensive? Who benefits from asking troops to march ahead? Russia or Ukraine? Let's just quickly recap the war so far. Russia has managed to capture Luhansk, Bakhmut, Donetsk, Mariupol, Melitopol, Zaporizhia, Kherson. And like we have been telling you, Russia has, in a way, managed to split Ukraine into two. You know, divide it along the Dnipro River. It controls the eastern side in totality or in parts. And like we told you earlier this week, Russia has also built a Putin line with which it hopes to protect the gained territory. So does Russia benefit from marching ahead, risking the lives of more men and spending on resources? Hardly. In fact, many would say the Kremlin already has what it wants, which may explain the lull since Bakhmut. Sure, there have been a couple of attacks since, like the recent drone attack on, on Kiev, or this bizarre instance of a Russian Sukhoi 34 jet striking a Russian city by mistake and leaving the city's governor shell-shocked. Three people have been injured. One person refused to be taken to the hospital. One resident was diagnosed with a closed head injury and concussion. 
поставили This was an airstrike, but when it comes to the ground movement, there hasn't been any since Bakhmut. And the ball now falls on Ukraine's court. Does Kiev benefit from an offensive? More than we can explain. In fact, one could say Ukraine needs a ground offensive, a spring offensive. Let's just pull out the map once again. All of these cities are under Russian control. And their occupation has cut off Ukraine from one, much of the Red Sea, from much of the Red Sea. Something that Ukraine will look to claw back. But if this offensive is to happen in spring, it needs to happen now. For it is almost the end of April. So what is the holdup all about? Weapons. In fact, reports say that in late March, Zelensky sent a message on his telegram. He said that Ukraine will not be able to begin a counteroffensive until the West sends weapons, more weapons. And what kind of weapons does Ukraine need? Everything. Starting from bullets to tanks to rocket artillery. In fact, the West has already promised a lot of weapons. From German-made Leopard tanks to American Patriot missiles and Abram tanks. But you see, just a fraction of what has been promised has actually arrived. And that's not enough for Ukraine to go charging to the front lines. In March, by the way, Zelensky told a Japanese paper, Yumiori Shimbun, I'm quoting, We are waiting for ammunition to arrive from our partners. We cannot send our brave soldiers to the front line without tanks, artillery and long-range rockets. What if those weapons don't arrive on time? Should Ukraine be prepared for plan B? You know, settle for the new reality. What some analysts have been speculating for a while you know, where the eastern part of the Dnipro remains under Russian control and the remaining country eventually goes on to join the NATO. The military alliance could already be preparing for such a possibility. I said in Kiev yesterday uh, that uh, Ukraine's uh, future is in the Euro-Atlantic uh, uh, family and all NATO allies have agreed that uh, Ukraine uh, will become uh, a NATO uh, member. Um, uh, but the main focus now is, of course, uh, on, uh, uh, on how to uh, ensure that Ukraine uh, prevails. Where it goes from here is anybody's guess.
This is Weon, and you're listening to Gravitas Podcast, making sense of the news. Now here's a question. Has America gone berserk? I know the question sounds sweeping. Some would say it's offensive. Trust me, it does not make me happy to ask this question. In fact, nothing about the stories coming in from the United States is anything close to making anyone happy. People in America are being killed like ants. They are being killed for no reason. They are being shot at for no fault of theirs. Let me just begin by telling you what happened in North Carolina. A six-year-old was shot by her neighbor. You know why? Because the child was playing basketball and the ball rolled into the attacker's yard. Imagine that. Your innocent basketball rolls into your neighbor's yard and your neighbor decides to pull out his gun and shoot you. This is wild. In fact, it is the wild, wild west where life and value for life means nothing. Where, forget about law and order, even civilized behavior is too much to ask for. Where the next bullet can be fired anywhere at anyone. You know what? This is not how a civilized society functions. Because in a civilized society, it is normally, it is normal for basketball to fly into your neighbor's courtyard for a frisbee to get caught in your neighbor's tree, for example, for your pet cat to sneak into your neighbor's balcony. It's absolutely normal. Most of us in this part of the world have landed in trouble where our cricket ball has shattered a neighbor's window or broken something in someone's balcony. But trouble means getting a scolding from the neighbor, you know, followed by a round of scolding from the parents as well. But that is where it ends. You get away with apologizing, and if you are lucky, you get away without any scolding at all. But imagine being shot at for this. According to reports, the neighbor ran out of his home, upset over the basketball landing into his yard, and he started firing. Bullet fragments landed at the cheeks of the young girl. The six-year-old's father was hit as well. We are being told that he is seriously injured. If this is bizarre, let me tell you what else has been happening in the United States. A black teenager was shot in the head because he rang the wrong doorbell. Let me, let me just repeat that for you. A 16-year-old was shot in the head because he rang the wrong doorbell by mistake. Let that sink in. This boy is black. He was trying to pick up his siblings, but he ended up at the wrong address. Rang the doorbell, and the white homeowner, an 84-year-old man, saw the teenager. He did not say a word. Instead, he pulled out his gun and opened fire through a locked glass door. What explains this rogue behavior? You know what the white man claims? He thought the boy was trying to break in. Why? Because he's black. The 84-year-old says that he was, quote-unquote, 
scared to death because of the boy's size. What are we to make of that? This incident happened in uh, America, Kansas City, because where else? Anywhere outside America, does ringing the wrong doorbell get considered to be a mistake to this extent? I don't know if it is commonplace in the country you are watching us from, but I can tell you from my experience that here in India, children often like to rile up the neighbors by ringing their doorbells and running away. It's a form of mischief. It's one of those things that people are guilty of doing during the summer vacations, for example. You know, spending time with their cousins or friends. Even today, it is commonplace for delivery executives to end up ringing the wrong doorbell by mistake. Say they want to deliver a parcel to flat number one and they go to flat number two by mistake. But we don't come out shooting at them, do we? Because that is not civilized. That is not how civilized people conduct themselves. But just a few days back in the United States, a 20-year-old woman was killed after the car she was riding accidentally pulled into the wrong driveway. This happened in New York. The 20-year-old was not alone. She was traveling with a group with three others, to be precise. The group pulled into the wrong driveway of another home. And when they realized that they were not at the correct address, they started pulling out their car from the driveway. But you see, it was too late. The resident of that house saw the car pulling away and started firing. 20-year-old Kellen Gillis was hit in the neck. She wasn't even the one driving. So basically, in America, you pull into a wrong driveway and you get killed. You ring the wrong doorbell and you will receive a bullet in return. Your basketball rolls into your neighbor's yard and you risk losing your father, if not your own life. You know what else puts you at risk of death? Getting into the wrong car. Can you believe that? A lot of us have done that. We book a radio taxi, for example, and when we get to the pickup point, we see multiple taxis standing there. We could end up getting into the wrong one by mistake. And what happens next? Either you realize right away and you get down, or you call up the person who booked the cab apologize and ask them to feel free to take your taxi instead. But none of that seems to be an option in the United States. You know what happened in Texas? Two cheerleaders were shot at and injured. What was their fault, supposed fault? One of them almost, and I repeat, almost got into the wrong parked car. This was outside a supermarket. The car's owner was a 25-year-old man, and when he saw the cheerleader trying to enter his car, the man got off his seat. The cheerleader tried to apologize to him, but he preferred to pull his gun out and fire. Why? Because he thought that was the easier thing to do. What would happen at most? He would be pulled up by a cop? But ultimately, he would get away with citing the Second Amendment and the right to carry firearms, the right to defend himself. The National Rifles Association will rally behind him. The supporters of Donald Trump 
will make him a hero perhaps. For all you know, he will feature in one of Trump's campaigns. You see, this is what America has come down to. This is what years of inaction has done to America. It has transported the country to the era of the wild, wild west, where lawlessness is the law of the land.
This is Weon, and you're listening to Gravitas Podcast, making sense of the news. Dominic Raab, one of Rishi Sunak's closest allies, has resigned. He has been facing a probe for five months. What for? For alleged bullying and aggressive behavior in the office. Let's have a look at the accusations made against him. In November 2022, a number of civil servants in the Ministry of Justice spoke out against Raab. They said that demeaning rather than demanding that he was very rude and aggressive and that he wasn't just unprofessional but also a bully. He misbehaved with officials during his time as Brexit secretary in 2018. He was also issued warnings when he served as the foreign secretary. Soon the opposition party started calling for a formal investigation. It started with two complaints. Raab requested an inquiry. He claimed he had always behaved properly towards the staff. The list of accusations soon started growing. Senior civil servants also got involved by January. Raab was facing 24 formal complaints. Shocking claims emerged against Raab. Some reported being physically sick before meetings. Others were regularly in tears and in at least one case were left feeling suicidal. In a letter to Sunak, Raab said that he would resign if he was found guilty of bullying. And after a long wait, the findings were finally released on Thursday. All but two of the complaints made against Raab were dismissed. For the last 24 hours, his political fate had been hanging in balance. Finally, Raab turned in his resignation earlier today. But he pulled no punches, by the way. He claimed that the findings were flawed. Raab apologized for the unintended stress that he caused. But he blamed it all on the pace, standards and challenges of the job. His argument was that ministers should be able to give direct critical feedback, that they should be allowed direct oversight over their civil servant officials. Not just that. He also said, and I'm quoting, in setting the threshold for bullying so low, this inquiry has set a dangerous precedent. This sparks an even bigger debate. And the matter does not just concern British politics. It relates to normal workplaces as well. What exactly qualifies as bullying at work? In broad terms, what is appropriate workplace behavior in 2023? You see, for the longest time, shouting and verbal abuse have been a workplace staple. Earlier, the management was asked to act like a boss, you know, to show authority, keep the employees under check. But there has been a shift in the work culture. Toxicity is no more blindly accepted. Leaders are taught to behave like anything but a boss. You know, they are encouraged to get involved with the employees and treat them as equals. Yelling is a big no-no. But despite the changing trends, bullying at work still remains prevalent. According to a report by Harvard Business Review, about 48.6 million Americans are bullied at work. This, this makes up about 30% of the workforce. 
In India, that percentage is reported to be as high as 46% or even 55%. There are quote-unquote screamers who yell and bang their fists. And then there are schemers who are quieter but equally dangerous. You know, they resort to plotting, gaslighting, smear campaigns to try and push people out. However, employees don't bat an eyelid before quitting when they feel humiliated. A toxic boss is considered to be the greatest threat to a company's culture. According to a survey by the International Association of Administrative Professionals, a bad boss is the number one reasons for employees, reason for employees to quit. You see, those times have gone when workers lowered their heads and listened to endless verbal abuse. Workplace bullying is now seen as a serious issue. But the boundaries remain somewhat blurred. There is a difference between actual bullying and feeling bullied. Bullying at work is about isolating people, demeaning and humiliating them, gossiping about them, withholding information and tasks, and then in turn, blaming it on them. It is cruel and unacceptable. But you see, bullying is not expecting a team to produce quality work on time. It isn't when you are questioned for missing deadlines. So where does one draw the line? Think about it.
This is Weon, and you're listening to Gravitas Podcast, making sense of the news. In early school years, when children are not all that well-versed as far as writing is concerned, they are often tested through different activities or oral examinations. And this trend usually takes a backseat as they grow up. The focus largely shifts to written exams, essays, open book tests. But with the rise of AI chatbots and online exams during COVID-19, every essay, every written test, no matter how difficult, is just one search away. And how exactly do we deal with this? You know, how do we keep the exam structures legitimate, fair? Is it time to go back to the basics? A Hong Kong education think tank suggests that it is. Written coursework is no longer viable because of the pressing risk of cheating. Scrutinizing whether the assignment is a student's original work has become virtually impossible. You know, on top of AI bots like ChatGPT, there are all sorts of software websites that can plagiarize stuff online without leaving a shred of evidence. While written tests can be the primary mode for assessment, EDSK is saying that it should not be the only one. In fact, it says new qualifications are needed to help the students develop more skills. So what exactly is the solution, you ask? Well, the think tank recommends students aged 16 to 19 should be required to take an additional subject in the 12th standard. And this subject would be examined entirely through an oral assessment. And this would not only rule out the risk of malpractice, but also help the students develop verbal skills, you know, boost their confidence and offer interview experience. It would further help them when they appear for college or job interviews. As AI bots raise doubts over the legitimacy of written examinations, experts have made some other important observations. Written tests often focus more on cramming and memorization instead of logic and reasoning. You know, they fail to equip, equip the students with practical skills that they might later need in life. For example, personal finances, student loans, appearing for interviews, the list is long. Can oral assessments fill the gaps that have been left by written ones? And can they really weed out cheating? How exactly will it affect students who feel nervous during verbal communication and how long before someone develops a hack for even this mode of examination. 